Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, I hope you're enjoying our Granary Online Church, and especially as um, this is our last online service before Christmas. So from all of us here at The Granary in Newcastle, Australia, wherever you're watching from, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, May it be a joyful time for you and may your new year be restful. And today I want to talk to you about how to have a Griswold Christmas. Now, some of you will be thinking, what the heck is that, a Griswold Christmas? Well, Many of my generation will have some idea of what it is because there were a series of films um, that came out in the probably in the 80s and 90s, and uh, the the um, centerpiece of those films was the Griswold family, and the one that was uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation featured uh, the Griswold father decorating his house with Christmas lights. Now, back then, they were just mainly white lights, but he put them everywhere, all over the, the roof of the house, all over, all around the walls of the house, in the garden, and they were all linked to one power source. And, of course, you can guess what happened. When he comes to put the two ends of his power cord together to light up the whole place, it not only shorts out all of his lights, but the whole suburb shorts out. But, you know, his intentions were good because good old Clark Griswold, he loved to bring joy to his family and joy to those who who would pass by and see his beautifully lit up house. But he just didn't go about it the right way sometimes. And, you know, haven't, haven't things changed a lot since then? When you think about Christmas lights, back then it was just originally a string of bulbs on a piece of electrical wire and then things got really technical and you could get coloured bulbs to put on a string and then things went to LED lights and all of a sudden the lights could twinkle and flash and do all sorts of uh, different things, turning on, turning off quickly, slowly and then of course right now you can do all of that in Technicolor. So, you know, houses are lit up these days with thousands of lights in all sorts of different um, shapes and sizes and colours as well. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Children love it. People love to walk around and see the Christmas lights. And it's interesting, isn't it, that at Christmas we, we celebrate Christmas using lights like that, but other celebrations like Easter for Christians or secular celebrations like Anzac Day and Australia Day for people who are secular as well as uh, those that are Christians, lights don't feature so much. So I wanted to ask that question today. How do we have it? Why and how do we have a Griswold Christmas? Why do we light the place up and we love to see these beautiful lights just at Christmas time? And to answer that question, we're actually going to begin more than 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And I want to take you back to um, to ancient Israel, 200 years before the birth of Christ, to around about 168 BC. Now, after I'd been married for a few years, my wife and I took a year off work and we backpacked around the world. We got a round-the-world air ticket and we went to many countries, but none of those countries changed our life as much as 
visiting Israel. And we spent a few months in Israel. We worked on a communal farm. And while we were there, we learned so much about our own Bible and about Jesus because we could see the context that Jesus was living in and preaching in. We could see the Old Testament um, in real life because, you know, many Israelis are, are, are still Jewish by religion as well as by birth and by culture. And so we could actually see around us the culture that Jesus grew up in. And ever since then, we've been back many times to Israel and nothing really helps us to understand our own faith better than being immersed in that culture in which Jesus grew up in. So let's go back before Jesus' time, first of all, to 168 BC. At that point in time, Alexander the Great, his armies had conquered Europe and the Middle East right through to India, North Africa. And after the death of Alexander the Great, his kingdom split into four parts. One part were the Seleucid Greeks who ruled over the Middle East, North Africa and Israel. But they didn't only want to rule over the kingdoms that they had conquered. They actually wanted to completely change the culture and the religion and the language of those places and turn them into a a little Greece, a place of Greek culture, Greek religion and Greek language. And so when the, when this, uh, this dynasty of of conquering Greeks entered Israel, they wanted to change everything, do away with the Jewish religion delivered, uh, you know, as we read about in, in the Old Testament. So one of the things they did was they entered the temple in Jerusalem, the very central part of Jewish faith and worship, and they completely desecrated that temple. They brought pigs into the temple. Pigs were an unclean animal and still are today for Jews. They slaughtered pigs in the temple. They covered the um, articles and the inside of the temple with the blood of pigs and they desecrated that, that place. They desecrated and tried to destroy the religion of the Jews. Now, into that setting comes a man called Judah Maccabee. And he got together a band of Jewish rebels who basically wanted to get the Greeks out of there and rededicate their land to God. And so amazingly, against the greatest um, greatest army that the world had seen up to that point, Judah Maccabee and his band of rebels actually managed to remove the Greeks with their fighting elephants and all their war machines actually managed to get them out of Israel, and then they began the process of rededicating the temple and and cleaning out the temple of God so that they could reestablish worship of the God of Israel. Now, they went in, and of course, everything was covered in pig's blood and desecrated, needed to be cleansed, objects needed to be removed from there. And in Judaism, it takes eight days for something to actually be consecrated after it's been ritually cleansed. And so they went into the temple and the light that is in the inner court of the temple that is supposed to never go out to rededicate that light would take eight days of burning that light before it actually became holy and dedicated to God. So they looked around and and the Greeks had desecrated all of the oil that was used to light that lamp, except they managed to find 
a small jar of oil that would last for one day in that lamp. So they lit the lamp and they said, God, they prayed and they said, God, we leave this uh, to you. We've only got one day of holy oil. So we don't know how this is going to become consecrated to you. Here's the thing. That oil lasted for eight days. It was only meant to burn for one, but it lasted for eight days. And the celebration of how that one day's worth of oil lasted for eight days when it was dedicated to God became the feast that we now call Hanukkah. And at Hanukkah, Jews are like what we call a menorah, and you can see one behind me. And the menorah has eight branches and a central candle in the middle. And the way it works is that the central candle is lit on day one of the holiday, and then that candle is used one each day to light the other eight candles on the menorah. And that's a reminder of God's light that was when when one day of, of God's light is entering into a person's life, it will God will multiply it many times over. And so that feast of Hanukkah, it's celebrated here in the Hunter. Last year, Audrey and I went with uh, many, many Jews from the local area and celebrated Hanukkah in Civic Park. And there was a, a big menorah there and, uh, you know, the candles were being lit and so on. But it was also called the Feast of Dedication. And so that is a, re a reminder that this was the feast where the temple was dedicated to the Lord. And the Lord himself did miracles as people dedicated themselves and everything they had to him. Now, that is celebrated every year around about Christmas time. And I want to make that jump now 200 years forward from that first Hanukkah to the time of Jesus. And today I want to have a little look at John chapter 8. Because in John chapter 8, we've 8, 9, and 10, we're going to have a quick run through those chapters today. But in John chapter 8, we find this scripture, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never be in darkness but will have the light of life. Now, the context of what was happening in that chapter is that Jesus had just taken the woman that was caught in adultery that had been brought to him so that the Jews could test him out. The Jews wanted to stone her. She'd been caught in adultery. She'd um, broken the law of Moses, and according to the law of Moses, that required stoning to death. But Jesus had expressed grace to her. Obviously, there was something different about him. He was ushering a whole new era, and it was an era of grace, not an era of law, not where people will be treated and judged and condemned according to whether they had obeyed a set of rules and rituals or not, but people would be treated according to the grace and the love of God. And in the midst of that, in that chapter, in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, the, the Pharisees who had dragged this woman to Jesus, that was their big question. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered them by saying, let me tell you who I am. I am the light of the world. 
We then move ahead into chapter 9, John chapter 9, and in John chapter 9, the very next chapter, Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth. Now, blind from birth means that he had never seen light. He had never seen daylight. He he could hear noises. He could feel the sunlight on his body, but he had never seen light. And Jesus came to that man and healed him and gave him his sight back so that light flooded into his body and he could see light for the first time in his life. Now, the issue was this. He did that on a Sabbath. And to the Pharisees, those who lived their lives by just obeying a set of rules, the religious people of the day, to do that on the Sabbath was a sin. How dare Jesus heal someone blind from birth on the Sabbath? How dare he bring light into someone's life? And again, in John chapter 9, in this same chapter, verse 5, Jesus says this. He says to the Pharisees and to everybody listening that were saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who are you? He says this, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the second time now in two chapters that he has said to the Pharisees and everyone around him when they've asked him, who are you, Jesus? Who do you think you are? that you can break the law and get away with it. And Jesus has hinted at the fact that he's bringing a whole new way of relating to God, not by obeying rules and regulations, but by grace and favour and forgiveness and healing and by the light of God coming into a person's life. And Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 9 and verse 5. And then we come to John chapter 10, and the Pharisees by this time are as mad as anything. They're cranky. And John chapter 10 says this, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. We've talked about the festival of dedication. It's where the lights are lit in memory of the reconsecrating of Israel to the Lord. In God, in terms of God's holiness, this was the festival of God's holiness, and that holiness was symbolized by light and the lighting of the menorah. And here's the interesting thing. The middle candle in a menorah is called the servant candle, and that is the one that's used to light all of the others. And Jesus, who came to be a servant to us, and to bring forgiveness and grace and to say, it's not, I'm not here to condemn you. It's not about law anymore. Jesus is that servant and he's represented, symbolized by that servant candle who brings light to everything else. So it was the festival of dedication. It was the festival of lights. It was Hanukkah. And it says it was winter time. And of course, Christmas uh, in the Northern Hemisphere where Israel is, is um, celebrated at winter time. That's December in, in Israel is the middle of winter. And at times, you might not know this, but Jerusalem gets snow in winter. It is up high and it's a very cold place, but it was the festival of dedication. It was the dark period of the year, the darkest time of the year, the coldest time of the year. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem at that time and it says this, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 24, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. 
Don't you think that's interesting? Twice now, in quick succession, Jesus had said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the light of the world. Did they listen? No. So he says it again. Chapter 9, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, at the festival of lights, they're still saying to him, who do you reckon you are? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're the Messiah? And Jesus says, basically, I've told you who I am and you didn't listen. I've told you twice already. And you might expect that he would stand up at that great festival and symbolically show them, just like this light, I am the light. But he says to them, basically, I've told you already and you didn't listen to me. And so the religious people, their hearts were closed, their eyes were closed. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't listen. You didn't believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They testify about me. He had brought light into a man's light, life, opened his eyes, and that work testified that Jesus was the light of the world, but they hadn't listened. He said, my works have testified about who I am, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And a bit later on in that same chapter, in this debate about who Jesus is and who they are, Jesus basically says, look, God is my father. And they say, no, God is our father because we're children of Abraham. And he says to them, actually, your father is the devil. Whoa, baby. You know, he's speaking to these religious people who prided themselves on being the children of God because they were law-abiding people who kept the law and who judged those harshly who didn't keep the law. And he says to them, no, you're the children of the devil. Wow. I mean, what a statement. But he says, but I'm a child of my father in heaven. And he says this to the Jews that were condemning him right there. He says, before your father Abraham was, I am. Now they knew exactly what he was saying right there in John chapter 10. He was saying, I am. God said, I am. Tell them the I am has sent you. I am who I am. And for Jesus to say before Abraham was, I am, they knew what he was saying. This is not only the Messiah, but he is God. And he was saying it in the context of this festival of lights where the light of the world was coming into the world, not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him, not through keeping the law, but by grace and forgiveness and the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. And I guess I want to ask you today, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus through his grace, through forgiveness, um, if you're still trying to relate to God by being a good person, well, I'll tell something to you. It's a bit harsh to hear at Christmas time, but it's basically what Jesus said to his um, his enemies when he said to them, you're of your father, the devil. If you think that just being nice and being good will be the way that gets you to heaven, you will probably be the nicest guy in hell. Sorry to put it so harshly because I don't like condemning sort of things, but it's not about how good we are. It's about grace. It's a free gift, folks, and Jesus is offering his light into all of our lives today. You don't have to be good. He will forgive you of the things you've done wrong in your life and deal with your guilt and deal with your shame, and in his grace he will make you a new person.
There's one more thing I want to say, and it comes from Matthew chapter 5, and this is what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Let's light this servant lamp. There we go. We're going to light this servant light to symbolize that Jesus is the light of the world and he wants to bring that light into your life today. You know what? When light is shared from a candle like that, if I were to take that and light the other candles, this middle light would not in any way be diminished. Sometimes when we share things, we have less of what we've given away. But light is not like that. When Jesus shares his light with us, it's not diminished. And when he says that we are the light of the world and he wants us not to hide that, he wants us to help to light other people's lights, our light won't be diminished. Our light won't be any less. In fact, the more we um, we share that light, the more light there is around us and the more light there is in the world. And I want to say this to you that the greatest light that we can share with people is the blessing of being saved, of having a relationship with God through Jesus. And at Christmas time, when we, when we put lights up everywhere, that's what we're celebrating. Jesus, the light of the world who came to earth for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for our healing, for our deliverance. And not only that, but he wants us to be the light of the world. He wants us to be a light for other people as well. And I want to say to you that here's a way that you can do that this Christmas, just one simple way. You know that the granary is holding a a production as we do every Christmas. This year it's called Good King Wenceslas. And although there'll be humour and there'll be music and people will love it, there will also be the gospel message woven into that story. And if you could just take one of these and pray over it and say, God, who do you want me to invite? Who is someone who needs the light of Christ at this Hanukkah, at this Feast of Dedication, at this Christmas time? Who needs the light of Christ? Invite them. Buy them a ticket for Christmas. Bring them along and let's allow the gospel light to take root in people's hearts. It's a very simple thing. It's not something that you have to feel responsible for individually, but we as a church... We are doing this collectively, sharing the light of Christ, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news that, hey, we don't have to go to that other place when we die. We've got a calling in heaven. We've got the light of heaven to look forward to. So no matter where you're watching from, if you're in Finland or in Iceland or South Africa or somewhere, ring up someone in Newcastle and say, I want to give you a ticket to the Granary Christmas production and pray that God brings light into their lives. And if you're certainly, if you're a part of this church, come on, this is our chance. This is our opportunity to be the light of the world. Jesus has lit our life. He's lit our candle. He's brought salvation to us. This is our chance to share that with others and be the light of the world. So let me pray for you. 
Father God, we just thank you that you sent Jesus into the world at Christmas time, accompanied by lights, accompanied by a star of light, accompanied by angels of light, accompanied by beams of light and angelic visitations. And we celebrate Jesus, who is the light of the world this Christmas. Every time we look at a light on a house, Christmas lights on trees, may we remember and be reminded that this is a holy season because Jesus is the light of the world. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be that light also for others and to share the light of the good news of Jesus at this Christmas season. May your blessing, Lord, rest upon everybody who's watching church online today. And may Christmas be a time of joy for us in discovering the destiny that you have for us as we walk in grace and forgiveness, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, because of what Jesus has done for us in dying for us on the cross and forgiving our sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. joining us by podcast thank you so much for joining us today take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message god has been speaking to you and what is it that he said to you if you're in the room with someone else turn and share with them what stood out to you and i say to them how can i pray for you share with them something that you love about god and something that you're thankful for this week or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.